here in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey folks, how you doing? It's time for another edition of The Other Kind Radio. Talk radio. Today is July 7th. This is episode 92. The Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast in which Todd and Jeff ping pong around all things pop culture and deliver to you, the kind listener. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on shortly. A uh, real quick Twitch reminder, episodes are available uh, on Twitch to view. We are streaming live right now. You can find us by going to twitch.tv forward slash hectos, H-E-C-T-O-S. I know that doesn't make sense, but don't worry about that right now. First time listeners are congratulated on finding us among the plethora of podcasts that are out there. Todd and I are glad you're here. We'd love to hear how you found out about the other kind radio. Feel free to do so by emailing us at info, I-N-F-O, at the other kind radio. Or you can call us on our hotline. Hotline? We'll figure out another name for that. 214-843-1149. 214-843-1149 is the number. Operators are standing by. I did check the log this past week. Again, we've got nibbles, but no messages left. I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to need to do like a five dollar amazon card or something just call us up and 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 tell us your favorite color 214-843-1149 as you are listening to this podcast we encourage everyone to like subscribe to the podcast if you feel so inclined uh by doing that it feeds an algorithm and i know i say this every week but there is an actual algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull we appreciate that. Quick shout out. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday to Fee and Crendon from Australia. Their birthday was on the 4th of July. So happy birthday to Fee and Crendon. Hope you had a good birthday. This week's episode of The Other Kind Radio is brought to you by Pub 134. Pub 134 is located in Maple Village at 90th and Maple right here in Omaha. Uh, they're still open. They're still cranking out uh, adult beverages and a nice, relaxed environment to hang out in. Um, Wednesday night is bags night. I was talking to Nick the other day, and they need more teams, so feel free to sign up. Uh, they've got a nice, big, big, spacious patio, and uh, you can go in there and throw some bags around. I called it sandbagging. They giggled at me. It's also known as cornhole. I don't know what they call it in your neck of the woods but it's where you throw a bag try to get through a hole it's horseshoes with bags basically um what else oh thursday nights thursday night is karaoke night so you know get on your voice and go sing with them your favorite hits my favorite karaoke song and i'll ask todd's in a second is um teddy bear by uh by Elvis. That's probably because it doesn't require much of a vocal range, vocal range, vocal range, and um, it's easy to. I like Jesse's girl, but it gets a little out of my range. So anyway, 
If you like bags, if you like karaoke, stop by Pub 134, 90th and Maple. Tell them, uh, tell Nick and his staff there that the other kind of radio sent you, and he'll give you a fist bump or whatever. This week on the other kind of radio, uh, we have some updates for those who have ended, ended their consecutive days alive. I'm still trying to find a clever way of saying that, but we had some notable deaths this past week, and we want to go over them. I'm going to give you a quick intro to the 2020 podcast awards that are coming up and how you, the listener, can help us. Uh, On center stage, mind-blowing. My life has changed because I've seen it. Hamilton, we're going to look at cast, uh, technical, music. Todd and I are going to get into Hamilton this week. No Jeff's judgment or Todd's take on is that will probably eat up a lot of the show. And now that I've been blabbing for, where's the runtime on this thing? It used to be this big clock. Software updates. I'm getting old. I think it's five minutes. Yeah. Let's get on the uh, real talent of the show here. <clears throat> and due to listener demand, I have changed his intro. So here is the new one. He is a family generator. <laughs> Three, two, one. He is a family generator, film school graduate movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, dive bar, boombox founder, and all around a renaissance man, live from a studio in the great state of Texas and delivering the pop culture significance of the number 92. Please welcome Todd. That changed? I guess film school graduate was the one thing that you added in. Yeah. <laughs> I love it whenever, you know, you, you get those addendums to something and it's, hey, we've changed this. And you're like, wait, all those elements. Oh, that one little thing was changed. Okay. Here's what you didn't add. Oh. The numerical wizard. He always <laughs> knows the numbers and what they mean. So let's go to number 92. It is a natural number following 91 and preceding 93. It is also a pentagonal number in which I know everybody is really curious what a pentagonal number is. So I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it's a figurative number that extends the concept of triangular and square numbers to the pentagon. But unlike the first two, the patterns involved in the con- construction of a pentagonal number are not rationally symmetrical. I really hope there's somebody out there that understands what I just said because that makes zero sense yeah. to me. It is also the atomic number of uranium. But stepping into other fields, would you like to guess which country it is the international direct phone dial code for? 92, 900 degrees, latitude, half of 900 is three, is 450. I'm going to say Uruguay. Pakistan. Oh, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that you're completely, <laughs> you know, wrong um, as far as at least that whole mathematical equation. Right. You just did. <laughs> so here's one that I'm going to try and throw out and I'm going to get this wrong. Probably the most interesting thing that Wikipedia decided to tell me about the Guinness record for longest place name. And I am not going to pronounce this correctly. This what's is going to take me a while. What's a Tomatata place name? Tomatata Mongo. Oh my God. And I'm only like three fourths of the way through. Mongo Hora Compton Hanto Nakawanta is a 92 character place name from a location in New Zealand. 
Oh, I'm so marking that and going to use that. What is I the, knew it as I did it. I thought I am so screwed on this. What is the what is the what is a place name for idiots I, like me? It, it's a city name. A place name. It's a location. Oh, oh. It, it's not necessarily a city, but it's a location in New Zealand. Got which it. is one place I man, I desperately want to go there. That is such a beautiful location. Yeah, but, I, I thought like a place name was more like with a person kind of like a surname or like my name is jeff you gotta mark that too my place jeff <laughs> my place my place name is sofa okay got it um wow i, I had to look up what a place name was too i i, I looked at the place name it doesn't i mean it sounds like a placemat i don't know but yeah that's <laughs> apparently the actual grammatical reference to a location name Nice. Okay. The year 1992, notable things that occurred. John Gotti, the Teflon boss, was sentenced to life in prison. We also had the Cartoon Network launching in 1992. Mm. I don't really watch Cartoon Network much, do you? No. McDonald's opens their first McDonald's in Beijing, China. Euro Disney opens in France. And if you, by the way, if you want to see something very interesting, there is a, pro, a program on Disney plus about the Imagineers, the people that actually build the Disneyland parks. And they're, they are very upfront about what a failure and a colossal screw up Euro France was. Hmm. Uh, Bill You're... Clinton became the U S president in 92. Hello. Yes. FDA urges to stop using silicone gel as breast implants. Hmm. I figured that's kind of pop culture. You know, we're always trying to reach for things that don't necessarily have to do with movies and whatnot. And I thought, well, boobs are not movies. So it's a good name. Band name. Boobs are not boobies. Well, I mean, boobs are not movies is an even better band name. So <laughs> hats off to you on that. I was thinking of like silicone gel. But um, yeah, I, I kind of like that. So Jeff and I, for those of you who may be new to it, we, we've we been part of a group of people that nonstop will find phrases that could be interesting band names. Right. It, and you do it. For, we, we, we carried on that tradition for, oh, it was a couple of years, and you just never fall out of it. So somebody yeah. walking by and go like, oh, look, a tin can kicking a chicken. You're like, man, that's a good band name. <laughs> Once you do it, you open the door and you can't <laughs> right, go back. Right, right. The last thing I'll throw out, 1992 would have been the year that Prince Charles and Princess Diana separate. Mm. I, I, I put that because I know that it's kind of sad with the separation and death of Princess Diana. And I know we're going to step to deaths very soon. I just thought maybe it'd be a really dark segue. That's a good segue. Um, we are going to pause that segue and then try oh. and because I do want to ask you about your fourth. Oh, OK. How was your fourth of July again? Um, hang on. I'm going to drink coffee. Oh, I got you right as you were getting coffee. Uh, here we had a really quiet fourth, which I'll be completely, uh, transparent with the kind listener. And I know there's a lot of people out there and I understand also that there is the perception that your patriotism is somehow tied to the number and loudness of the fireworks that one shoots off. And, and I get that. I understand. I hear you. I hear you. I'm just not that way. Um, I'm probably a little cautious when it comes to the day-to-day -day operations of, of executing uh, life.exe and fireworks um, scare me. 
Well, I, not in the sense when they go off, I I uh, I wet my pants. I just do that on my own anyway. But just the whole logistics. You're taking something that is built by someone somewhere, and I don't know who they are. And you've got small fuse and fire and explosions, and I, I it's kind of just tied to what I do for a living, where I'm looking at all the possible worst <laughs> outcomes. Uh, I'm like, oh, that would be bad. Um, so we, we kept it fairly quiet, uh, and just kind of, you know, socially distanced and talked to some new neighbors that we have and, uh, just kind of hung out. So it was, it was very low key, but it was, it was nice. And, um, you know, we shot off some fireworks. Um, but other than that, it was, it was, I think we were wrapped up and done by about nine 30 or so, maybe 10, maybe 10. You know, ours was ours was a little down key because the three of us have been sick and luckily not covid my my wife and daughter both work at a doctor's office and have been tested and so we know it wasn't covid but uh the three of us have been under the weather mm. and so we kind of just hung out and then we were called that the city we live in was going to go ahead and do their usual fireworks show but what they were doing was putting it sort of in the center of town in a in a lot a huge lot that's not yet been developed and so we drove over to see if we could see get a good vantage point to see the fireworks and, and we parked in a, a starbucks parking lot and luckily everyone social distance yeah to an extent there was a lady that you know and i i look if you're the lady that had 12 children and uh was in the allen texas parking lot i'm talking about you but i know you're probably not listening but um she might want to become one of those kind of parents that puts the actual leashes on her children because good Lord, uh, there was no social distancing from those children as the fireworks went off. But it was, an, you know, that was an interesting perspective. Even my, my kid looked at me and said, wow, this is just vastly different than what you're used to on four, the fourth. But what I find interesting in all this time of social distancing is we find ways to at least continue the traditions to an extent. And so, you know, we may not have had the gathering of friends as we usually do, uh, we usually almost uh, every year it's, I wouldn't say it's an annual thing, but the, a group of friends put a, uh, um, a picnic together of sorts and we go to their house and we, we hang out and we pop fireworks. We didn't do any of that this year, but we kept it low key. But uh, you know, the highlight was what we're going to talk about on the show today because it, um it came out the day before the fourth and I will go ahead and drop the hint. I've already watched it three times. I've, I'm at two and a half. Okay. I was very excited about it. the 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 rest of the 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 dwellers in this domicile, could, <laughs> I could have said, you know, hey, you guys want to go count blades of grass? And, and you know, <laughs> so, uh, well, good. I'm glad your 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 fourth was was uh, uh, you know accident free. And I'm sorry that you guys were feeling uh, under the weather. Hopefully, you get uh, better soon. Um, and I hope the kind listener had a good fourth wherever you are. And um, nobody got hurt because that's the main thing for me i'm just like and we did hear a story here locally uh actually in our neighborhood of a kid that got burned pretty severely uh mm. by a firework and I, I mean it's just i mean i get it it's fun to, to to light something and have it go boom but i must be just getting old because my risk to reward rate you know the ratio from risk to reward for me i'm just like i'm good i'll just sit in the chair and and fall over you know I was curious about that. Were you always trepidatious when it came to fireworks? Because I remember going to the uh, very, very small city of Chico where my dad was from and being with my cousins and going out to the massive 
farm fields and shooting off fireworks and feeling very safe and we would you know we were stupid and we would have wars with uh, roman candles and things <laughs> but i i've never been a, not, i won't say afraid i've never been like oh even to the extent you know this this picnic i mentioned we shoot off fireworks and you know, within city limits and i you know i usually try to be very smart with the kids hey don't do this but yeah let's blow some crap up so yeah. i'm just curious about you uh, that's actually a, a very kind question, and it's going to allow me to clear something up a little bit. It, 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 so, like, one of, there's two things. One of the first things that ruined kind of Fourth of July for me was um, having family that lives in Austin. And in Austin, um, I'm not going to remember. I think it's near Zilker Park. I'm sure Pop and and other Austin listeners that are just like no. But anyway, basically, you put your raft in or your canoe. And you paddle out into the river, which runs through downtown Austin, and then you lay in your in your canoe on your back, and the fireworks go off above you, um, which is just amazing. And to the point that I remember seeing the the ashes, you know, like in the water and stuff like that after they had fallen out. I mean, they literally go after. So the first thing that kind of altered my perception of fireworks was having that that uh that perspective that view it's kind of like going to a concert and seeing a band live and then listening to the tapes like but i was you know i have the memory of being there um and right close and being able to so that was the first thing so i i was like ah okay um what was the next thing um oh and then and then to me just let the experts fire off the fireworks that doesn't bother me it's it's just you know people firing them off themselves and you sound like you're safe and everything but uh you know it's just when when people because i went to go get some at the kind of the last minute and all they had were these ones that were like a suitcase trunk sized firework and i'm like <laughs> and the guy's like no it's not a bad price it's like 15 dollars. i'm like that is too big that's like the size of our dog <laughs> You know? Well, I, do they have the shelving size of my dog, size of my horse, size? I want the the size of my uh, Chihuahua. Yes, right, exactly. So I didn't know they did dog sizing. Right, they do. They have like three or four dogs there. Okay. okay. And, and you walk up and you like take a random dog and you hold it up next to the firework and you're like, I'll take I'll take three Chesters. And, <laughs> and the great thing is the dog brings the fireworks out to you because you know they got to make money too. So can you strap the fireworks to the dog? I believe in some idea. counties you can, but you have to have the written consent of the oh, dog. What? I'm not signing that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, well, good, good. But yeah, that's that's kind of my my Fourth of July. I'm not anti Fourth of July. I'm just like, hey, if you are a professional that shoots off fireworks and everything, did you see the video on Reddit? And kind of listener, feel free to look this up. That San Diego accidentally lit off all their fireworks at once. I highly no. recommend you check that out. I, I think I saw it on Reddit. And just, just you know, we're used to, you know, boom, oh, boom, oh, mark that. And and then just imagine instead of a sequence of explosions, if it just all went off at once. It's it was it's pretty, pretty amazing. That's funny you mentioned something like that because uh, a neighboring community here in Dallas, just a little south of us named Plano, um, had a massive mishap with theirs when one of the tubes that shoots off a big firework mm -hmm. fell over and shot out and therefore lit the rest of them off. And so all this stuff was exploding on the ground. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm saying. 
That's what I'm saying. Uh, by the way, just a shout out to Grandpa Henry. His favorite joke is, you know what kind of people come from Plano? Plano. Plano people. My grandfather's one of those people that will tell you that joke so many times that it starts out funny, then it gets unfunny, and then it gets funny again. (laughs) You dread that he's going to say it, but then you almost love that he said it. Oh, yes, it's cute. Or I'm losing my mind, either way. Um, Cool. All right. So, um, hope everybody had a good four. Thank you so much. We're going to keep on moving here and talk about some notable deaths. Um, just because a lot of them have such an impact on pop culture. And, and Todd, I'll let you start where you want to begin uh, this particular um, uh, tribute, if you will, or, or mention of. Who do you want to start with? Let's start with Ennio Morcone because okay. I'll, I'll say the second because we're going to speak of a, a musical and it, it at least ties into it. But Ennio Morcone may not be a name that tons of people know right off the tip of your tongue if you're not a filmophile. Yeah. Um, he was famous, probably he was famous for the, the for the breadth of which he could compose things. But what he became known for were the the great Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns, such as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. If you've ever heard, I don't know if you have any of his music there available, but if you've ever heard that, that's Ennio McCroney. And this man would go on to create scores for A Fistful of Dollars, uh, the uh, Academy Award winning film uh, Cinema Paradiso, which I'm telling you, if you are a film lover and you want to see a foreign film that will make you weep like a child, watch mm. Cinema Paradiso. Um, he also worked with uh, famous directors such as John Carpenter, uh, who usually does his own music, but was asked not to when he directed the Kurt Russell film, The Thing. Mm. He then went on to work on Once Upon a Time in America, The Untouchables, Bugsy, and a whole bunch of other things that led into sort of the last phase of his career, which he worked with Quentin Tarantino on his nod to those great Westerns, the hateful eight. And it, it was funny. Have you ever seen the hateful eight, Jeff? I have, I have. So to me, one of the things that sets the the stage for that, besides the fact that he was, you know, that Tarantino was so smart about the cinematography, the costume, et cetera, but his music immediately makes you go, oh, I know where I am. And right. it, that was the thing about him. He was so iconic that he could tap into something. And whenever he made the Sergio Leone films, there's the uh, the case that what Leone heard was almost like, uh, what are you doing? And the thing was, is he was doing something so out there. And that's when Leone was like, I love that. That's amazing. But to other people, they were like, what well now it's become so iconic that we almost go watch john uh, wayne films and we almost expect that kind of sound to it oh. it almost retrofits into it marconi true legend within the film world belongs right up there with all you know bernard herman uh, uh, to john williams the great composers uh, jerry goldsmith all these people that changed the way they compose for film marconi true legend you know again and and well said there one of the things you uh came to mind when you were kind of giving us that rundown is there's another uh trade skill if you will that if you're really good at it, it was nice because you could pour your heart and soul into it and be successful and have you know the things that come with great success but still be able to go out and grab dinner with your family 
Like, I, I'm sure there were people that recognized him in public, but it wasn't like, you know, he was going to get, you know, inundated or, or surrounded by people demanding his autograph. So that's cool. You know, anytime it's kind of behind the scenes, I've always thought that was neat. Somebody that's a master of their craft that, that has touched your lives in so many different ways that you're not even aware of, um, but could be sitting right next to you and you'd have no idea, which is a good thing because I'd be asking stupid questions like, that stick that you wave when you're conducting, is that like, you know, is it Bluetooth? Is it Wi-Fi? Are you cooking? You know, I ask him stupid questions. That is a great point because, and I, and one thing that I was remiss, uh, that I don't want to be remiss to, to mention is that if you watch Disney's The Mandalorian, the theme of The Mandalorian itself is almost referential to the Marconi sound. Mm. That kind of, you know, very different thing, and to the extent that they even use a recorder and do the, it's the same exact thing. And what brought that to mind was that I, I watched a uh, making of with that composer recently, and I was like, um, that dude wrote the music. He looks like some hippie guy that you know should be working at a, a music store instead of composing for a big multi-million-dollar project. But that's true. I never thought about the composers are these great essential things to film. We don't really know their faces. John Williams, probably a lot of people yeah. would recognize him, but most of them you'd be like, I, Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, one of the great icons of film. I, he's not along with us, but I wouldn't have known him. You, I, would, I couldn't identify him. Do you, do you think that, that this gentleman ever was sitting down at dinner and, and just overheard a conversation like at the next table, like, oh my God, did you hear the songs in Fistful of Dollars? I mean, that was just crap. <laughs> <laughs> well you know um i don't think anybody ever said that about him I'm i don't sure. think anybody is either <laughs> but marconi dies this week at the age of 91 what a great great life um you want to move on to the director or the broadway actor director i didn't i didn't have the note about that which director you take it then uh carl reiner and and oh. Into yeah. the to the to the kind listener and those that are that are uh, pop culture enthusiasts, it literally broke. The story broke while we were on air uh, on our episode ninety one. So we apologize for not making mention of that. But literally, I got off uh, the mic and started processing the show, and I saw and got a text from Pop saying that that happened. Rob Reiner, um, Rob Reiner, Carl Reiner. Rob Reiner's fine. Carl Reiner, just an icon when it came to um comedy and directing some some great films uh he is uh kind of the opposite of uh our uh, composer friend where i'm sure everywhere carl reiner went uh the flock was sure to go he was well known well respected and i'm sure todd has a few of the films that uh, this gentleman has directed that has been so big um, another another one. I think he I think he passed. Uh, I think he was ninety two um, when he passed. So again, another long life, another successful life. But with highlights, here's Todd. So he's perhaps best known really for his television work. When you realize what he created, but I want to touch on some of the films because of the era when we grew up. These were like, oh god. As a matter of fact, he directed. Oh, God. <laughs> I looked right down and went, oh, he did direct that. Um, he also worked with Steve Martin making The Jerk, Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, The Man with Two Brains. A lot of films like that that were almost the Judd Apatow, not Judd Apatow, but the silly Will Ferrell comedies of that era, he directed. But when you go back 
and you his writing it's it's almost too much to mention but probably the most well-known in fact it's what I, I think cbs decided to air and tribute that's that's how big this man was they aired a tribute they aired the dick van dyke show because he created that and he wow. directed and wrote many of those episodes that alone should be enough to make people go wow yeah but he continued to act he continued to direct the thing that touches me the most is probably my favorite funny person in the world, Mel Brooks, it was his best friend. Yeah. They worked together. They had the 2,000-year-old man skit that was very, very famous. If you've never heard that, it's well worth a listen. And yeah, you're going to be stepping back into a, a style of comedy that's very old, but it's funny. Let yourself be taken back in time. I will tell you that when I heard, I actually saw it while we were going on uh, with the podcast list last week and I thought about mentioning it and then we got into conversation. I'll let it go. But my immediate thought was, Oh God, Carl Reiner. I'm going to be destroyed when Mel Brooks dies. Yes. He is one of my true favorite people in the whole world and can n never fails to make me laugh. And apparently that's what Carl Reiner thought of him and Heath of Carl Reiner. So there are a few less quality laughs in the world this week because Carl's gone. And I'm not even going to attempt to follow that up because that was so well said. Um, true, truly a loss. But again, I, I don't know if it's my age. I'm just like when I hear nine, I want to hear numbers like 92, 91 and the success they had. There is a sadness that fills my heart. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, all right, you know, that's 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 a good run. That's a good run. And I guess these days that's that's all we really, <laughs> really can hope for. Um I didn't write it down on the sheet, but we also had a musician uh, that passed, Charlie Daniels. Um, he uh, wrote Devil Went Down to Georgia, and he, he passed at 83. Um, I mean, just you talk about another icon and somebody that's been around and worked with so many different people. I was looking through some of the photographs on the article that um, uh, where it was in this article that's on um, Tennessean.com. There's actually a great shot of him and James Brown performing together. It's so weird that 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 he died this week, or not just this week, but the day he did, because only the day before, um, we were in the car, the three of us, my wife, my daughter, and I, and the devil went down to Georgia, came on. I don't particularly care for that song. It's a it to me, it's a gimmick song. Yeah, and the uh, it came on, and my daughter's like, turn it up, and I was like. <laughs> hang on what, what but she's like that's a good song and i thought okay you're right it's a good song yeah and we got to talking you know i said he's a little problematic because of some of the things he said politically he becomes that weird person that a lot of people don't like yeah and i said and here's what's weird about him and i told abby this i said if you ask a lot of people they would say he's a one-hit wonder but the truth is what you said and you found is the correct thing he worked with so many people yeah he was constantly working constantly touring and he had more hits than that one, but that one was so incredibly iconic that that's the one people think of. Yeah. So that's another good life as well. I mean, yeah. was he 83? 83, yeah. That's a, that's a good life. Um, I, I want to quickly insert, before we get to uh, our last mention here, and I'm, I'm going to hopefully rely on our combined brains of memory. Do you remember in episode 91, there was somebody had passed that was the pop culture guy that was responsible for the iHeart New York. Can you remember his name? 
No, but I'll look it up for you. Uh, so while you're doing that and I start to talk slowly so you can look it up, um, I just was talking to Pop and he reminded me, and we'll get his name here in a minute, that the interesting thing about his passing is he passed on his birthday. Oh, wow. So that's... laser. Thank you. Um, that's an interesting statistic and, and, and something that might be interesting to look at down the road. I mean, is that, does, I mean, if you die on the day you were born, I mean, that's kind of, you talk about full circle. I was about to say, are you truly bookending your life? You are, you're almost creating art with your death. Because I, I read something interesting on Reddit the other day that says the only two days you don't, the only two days in your life that you don't fully live 24 hours or something is the day you're born and the day you die. The rest, it's a 24-7, 365 Wow. Operation. That, that makes me scratch my head that in 53 years, I've never thought of that simple fact. Yeah. You've been alive every day except for the day you were born. And the only day you won't make full circle, unless you hit it right on the nose, is going to be uh, the, day you die. the day you die. All right. So moving I, on. I'm aiming for dying exactly at the minute I'm born so that somehow it's <laughs> symmetrical. So, so when you pass on, you, you get a... Uh, you get a, a, a koozie. <laughs> yes. I stepped to the pearly gates. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, bitches, I got my koozie. You got koozie. Oh, you're one of the koozie, the koozie guys. <laughs> um, and then quickly to mention, because it, it is tied to COVID and everything going on, um, and I'm not going to pretend to know um, anything about this individual, but I do think it worth mentioning. Um, Nick Cordero who was a Broadway actor and from what I know, very well known by who we're going to be talking about soon here, Lynn manuel Miranda, um, was a uh, Broadway actor, uh, very successful. And, and from what I found out last night, uh, had a pretty long fight against COVID, like three months or something. And he passed um, 41, which makes my heart sad because, of course, that's that's way too early. Um, and I know, and one of the great things about Broadway and a little bit, what we'll talk about here in a minute with, with, uh, Hamilton, such a tight community. And it's great because again, uh, unless you follow those particular productions and know what's going on, Nick Cordero is not a name I would know, but I'm glad that there are people in the Broadway community that are, you know, being interviewed and, and there's some stories out there to, 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 to highlight and, and let people know that this was a quality guy. Uh, who was struck down too early by uh, by COVID. Dies at 41, leaving behind a wife and a small child. Um, as Jeff said, had gone through a, not just a long battle with, but a horrific battle, having to have a leg amputated. Days before his passing, his wife came out and said, if he's going to survive, he'll need a full lung transplant. Mm. This is a man that had been both nominated for the Tony and the Drama Desk Awards, had been in, off-Broadway, he created the, the uh role of Toxie in the Toxic Avenger. He was also in Bullets Over Broadway, had been featured in Waitress, um, and, uh, uh, oh my God, uh, School of Rock, not School of Rock, why can't I, the Rock of Ages, I believe he's hmm. been in it as well. So he had done a ton of work. He was very beloved, apparently a very kind soul as well. You know, we, we shouldn't look back upon life and, and be sad for them only when they are kind souls, but yeah. You, you do feel that loss when so many people are are heartbroken because of him going so early. 
Very well said, and this is a very hard tra uh, transition. Uh, so uh, again, overall, uh, condolences to to um, to those that have lost these people that we've mentioned, and and I hope it inspires some of our kind listeners to to do some Google searches and learn a little bit more about uh, these people we mentioned today, uh, because there's uh, some interesting information out there, and it's kind of interesting to read about uh, what their accomplishments were and everything. On that note and changing, ugh, I'm going to shift gears. And, and for those that are old enough to remember manual uh, uh, transmissions, I'm going to do what's called grinding gifts, uh, gifts grinding gears here. Um, so we're going to sh shift attention real quick before we go to Hamilton uh, for, I don't know, we could be a little selfish promotion, but we need your help, kind listener. Um this show's been around, well, it was originally started in 2001, but it took a long hiatus, but, you know, Todd and I have been back at it. Um, and I still think in a lot of ways, the other kind of radio is, I don't know, have we been born yet? Or are we still in, our, in utero? We're definitely in our infancy. I know I personally am still in my infancy. <laughs> um, You're a cute baby, though. Oh, thank you. Yeah, especially with my uh, my uh, my new fancy glasses that block blue light, so I can well, see. Well, I did want to say for those of you actually watching, I'm going to start calling you Bono. Oh, uh, hh. hey, you're welcome. I don't even, I don't know what Bono sounds like. <laughs> it was awful. All right, so uh, the other kind of radio needs your help. Um, so if you open up a browser and shoot and just do a search for podcast awards, you'll. Uh, come up with the podcast awards the people's choice uh their website is podcastawards.com now i'm going to go through this and then i'll also post some stuff uh for those so we don't spend too long but anyway the 15th annual annual podcast awards are upon us the process that we're in right now is the nomination process so it's kind of a two-phase you have to get enough nominations to appear on the ballot to possibly win uh, the Other Kind Radio is on the ballot to be nominated. And what I need is Other Kind listeners and fans that feel comfortable doing so to go to podcastawards.com and right on their page there, you can click on the click me to nominate my favorite podcast. You do have to create a, uh, an account. I will say they do not inundate you with this, that, and the other. So feel comfortable uh, signing up for an account. Um. Their website is a little slow. I, I do want to mention that because I'm sitting there watching the thing spin and I'm wondering what's going on. Then you'll be brought to a page once you register where you are selecting nominees, not voting, nominees for the podcast awards. There's categories like arts, uh, business category, comedy category, education category. Um, we, the other kind radio, are... In the Adam Curry People Choice Award, which is kind of like just the uh, smorgasbord of podcasts, and we're also in the film and television, TV and film, sorry, TV and film section, which is down towards the bottom of the page. Now, here's the important part of it. Um, I would really like, we, we tried last year and did not get nominated. I would really like to try this year to get nominated, so at least we're on the ballot. Um, that would get some eyeballs, which would be nice. Obviously, if you're a kind of listener and you don't feel comfortable doing so, we're not trying to to make you go in and do anything. But um, podcast awards, go there, sign up, nominate the other kind of radio if you feel comfortable. We are on the list, so all you have to do is just select a show. And for those people who maybe don't watch or listen to podcasts on science medicine or 
um, storyteller drama. You can select just what you know and submit your ballot without having to go through all of them. But there are some good podcasts, and I do suggest, if you have the time right now, to uh, pick pick up a few and, uh, and check them out. Uh, the nomination period ends on July 31st at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern. So uh, if you feel so, and we would greatly appreciate it, head to podcastawards.com and see uh, see if you can nominate us to get us on the ballot for this year's podcast awards and self-promotion anything you want to add on that Todd? no uh look we enjoy doing this regardless of who listens what and frankly what they think because that's what we think we bring to is just the honesty of two friends talking about pop culture which we love right we would appreciate you helping us out a bit because what well, what does make this fun is when we get something back from people or when we have a chance to interact, the more that you guys help us in this situation, the more we can find more people like you and we can keep doing this. So if you can exactly what Jeff said, and he, he laid it out beautifully for you. All we're asking is just a little help and we thank you. Yep. Well said. All right. And it's funny. You mentioned uh, earlier about possibly having some music. There's a huge, uh, DMCA, um, thing that's going right now, which DMCA is the digital media copyright act, which they are searching high and far, high and low, high and far search high and far. What about low? No. Um, for music and stuff that's being used without copyright permission. So, Normally, uh, a couple of years ago, I would have loaded up some some music from what we're getting ready to talk about and had a really cool intro, but I don't want us to run into anything uh, as um, Lin-Manuel Miranda and I are not on a first-name basis. I just don't want to have to uh, defend us. But basically, what we're getting ready to go to on Center Stage is a musical, and Todd is fully aware, and the kind listeners know that I am not a big musical person. But I got treated to something that really, really turned my head. And that is, uh, as I said, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, which is now available on Disney+. Plus. Um, real quick to get some of the logistics out of the way. Um, you can pick up Disney+, Plus on a month-to-month basis, $6.99. And you can download the app on any of your uh, devices, Apple TV, uh, and pick it up and watch not only that, but if you're going to get a month's worth of Disney plus, you might as well watch the, uh, uh, oh gosh, the, what's that? The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. Uh, there's some good content on there. And the beautiful thing again about these types of services is get it for a month, spend your six ninety nine, whatever taxes, and then you can bow out and you're good to go. But that's what we're talking about on center stage. We're talking about this thing called Hamilton. Um, that is just, uh, and I'm going to choose my words carefully here, mind-blowing, life-altering, just knocked me down, amazing uh, musical um, that's available for view now. And, and it's even better that during this quarantine period that this they decided to do this. I know there's money. I know there's money on the mind, but I really do appreciate them doing that because I was so excited to see this come out. So Hamilton... You, you nailed one thing so perfect that I think people need to understand. And I'm going to, you can play the Todd is grandstanding music if you'd like, but for, we actually saw this on Broadway. Oh, 
and for what I paid for that, which was basically skipping a mortgage payment almost. <laughs> and and the only reason I was able to do it is because I knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody that had a contact that could get me a reduced rate from what normal people were paying. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to be there for my wife's birthday. Let's pay for it. Compared to what I paid, six ninety nine to get this filmed version. And, yeah. and it is, we'll get to this. It's It's not just a camera on it. But this no. is shot up a succession of perform live performances as well as close ups and everything. This is beautifully done. You're getting something, and it, even whenever you uh, go go search out the uh, the theater where this at, there are obstructed views, and we did have a slightly obstructed oh. view of some of the stuff that was up top. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about the the area where the staging goes on above them. We couldn't yep. always see a face up there, but mm. we could see 95 percent of it. You see everything in this film. So get your six ninety nine ready, pay for it, because we're gonna tell you why you need to see this. Yeah, nineteen ninety parent holding uh consumer grade camcorder in the back of the in, in the back of the auditorium. <laughs> this is not. This is no. uh this is very well choreographed and done. Um, so let's go ahead. We're going to break it down into a couple couple different uh, areas here to kind of go over. First, we're going to start. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the cast. I want to talk. I'm really excited about the technical side, and then of course we want to talk about the music, which was all written by a man that I think um, Shakespeare and Mozart themselves would be honored and excited to meet and hang out with. We're kind of ta obviously talking about Lin Manuel Miranda, but with the tail of the tape and kind of the intro into the cast, uh, which there's a there's a little there's a little uh, uh, what do they call it? They call it a not a goose egg, an Easter egg um, in the cast that had an aha moment for us here watching. But anyway, with the tail of the tape and kind of uh, the overview of the cast, here's Todd. Well, I'm curious to hear what this Easter egg is, but l let's start right at the top. And, and I'll just throw out, this is the story of Alexander Hamilton, who is one of the great founding fathers that may have been forgotten. This musical comes about because Lin-Manuel had recently won the Tony Award for his previous musical called In the Heights, of which he starred in also. When he went on vacation, he went through an airport uh bookstore and saw this massive book about alexander hamilton and he said what i love is i love big books that i can completely get lost in and he said but within pages i went oh my god this is a rap story because he began realizing this was about an immigrant whose mother died and all the things that he went through and he used his brain and his ability to write and he said that is the, the complete story of any rap artist that comes up so he begins writing this it famously premieres for the Obamas when they have a, a White House event. Have you seen this video, Jeff, of Lin-Manuel performing with uh, Alex Lacamoire? I haven't. I should, but I did read the article where it was kind of a he, he transitioned to what he thought was going to be a mixtape. And so stuff, yeah. that, that's funny you say that because when it so it goes into what are called workshops Broadway musicals often do workshops where they are staging and they think we've got a good idea let's put some actors in this let's hear the songs let's see what we can develop it was originally called the Hamilton mixtape ah. and they worked through this and then they go and take it to the Obamas and when you watch this video I challenge anybody before you watch Hamilton go watch mm. this video because what you'll see is Lynn gets up and he's short haired in this. He grows his hair very long when he stars in Hamilton, but he gets up and he tells everyone I've written this thing about one of the greatest uh, writers, founding father, Alexander Hamilton. Everybody laughs because he's going to rap. He begins to rap and they continue to laugh until halfway through it. And they're like, wait, 
he's making sense. Yeah, yeah. And by the end of it, everybody in the audience is just going nuts. So he creates this, he takes it in, they develop it, it premieres off-Broadway and becomes a smash freaking hit. It goes nuts. They can they realize that they can no longer stay at the public theater where they are. They have to transition. They're gonna train they knew Lynn had already won these uh, you know, the Tony and whatnot. This was probably gonna go to Broadway anyway. Right. But it became a massive, massive hit during its development. And it has become a sensation since. So what you're seeing when you see this film is the original Broadway cast. And that is very important. We've had landmark musicals across time. You know, you go back to Rent being the last of the musicals that hit like this to where it became almost a pop culture moment to go see the original cast. For them to preserve this and, and deliver it. Now, most musicals are shot um, so that you can go to different repositories where they keep things like this and you can see them. For them to release this is just a monumental achievement yeah. in and of itself. So you're seeing Lin-Manuel, you're seeing uh, David Diggs as um, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, and uh, many of these people, you'll see this is a very typical Broadway trope. They'll play dual roles. Yes. But what Lynn does with that, the reason you do dual roles is so that you have less people employed. Right. You know, and they may only be in four or five scenes at the first and they come back dressed very different and play somebody else. But what he does with it is genius. I'm, I want to throw this out right away because the characters that they play in the first act and the p- character they play in the second act echo each other. Yeah. They are tied. They, we have another that plays his best friend, then plays his son. And the, 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 the story arc for both those characters is tied. This man thinks of everything across the board like that. Um, you've got Philippa Sue is Eliza. She wins the Tony award. You've got Renee Elise Goldsberry, who is one of my daughter's favorite people as Angelica scholar. She wins as well. Christopher Jackson, who played George Washington is one of Lynn's best friends. And he was in, in the Heights with him. And as a funny aside, have you ever watched drunk history, Jeff? Yes. Have you ever seen the one with Lynn Manuel? No, I, I I don't. I think I hood, uh, held off on it because I was still was absor- absorbing Hamilton and wasn't ready to kind of see that. But I, I will watch it soon because I do like drunk history. Well, it is funny because he calls Chris in the middle of this and he's drunk and he's like, I promise anything I write, man, you're the star of it, man. I love you. <laughs> wow. So. I, I'm I, real quick. I've got a man crush on Chris Jackson as well. And, and I don't want to get too far into this because I want you to keep rolling through here. But um, one thing I liked about these these characters being introduced is you're like, wow, that person can sing. And then somebody else comes up and, and does a performance. Like, wow, that person is really talented. Now, again, I'm a Broadway idiot. So this may be something that is just blase and happens all the time. But Chris Jackson, to me, one of the standout performances and voices that just, I mean, they're singing loud and they're singing with passion. But then to me, there's that extra layer that that, that this, this cast is so eloquently done that just carry it above just I'm singing a song that it's right there. And, and Chris Jackson um, caught my eye. Please continue. So exactly and i chris jackson to me i I go back to in the heights and listen to him and even there i'm like i just am in love with his not just his voice but the way he he, i've never seen in the heights on stage and the the album of it alone i can just listen i can feel yeah 
his character there in front of me. And I think he, he here he plays George Washington. And, and, and let me step back and say, this is very famously cast with people of color in roles of white Americans. Mm-hmm. And really what it does, and the reason Lynn did that is he said, the story of America's formation is the truth that we are these people too. Yes. And let's strip away the color, let's strip away and let's listen to the truth. And it is, that alone is a stroke of genius. You just sit there yes. and you think, holy crap. I, I, every time a page is turned, I'm shocked by it. But you're right. Chris Jackson stands out. Anthony Ramos as the character of John Lawrence and Philip Hamilton, his son, who, by the way, is going to be the star of the film In the Heights that is almost oh, done. Good. What's Anthony In the Heights Ramos- about? I'm not, I'm not even familiar with that at all. In the Heights is basically Lynn wrote it while he was in college and did a small version of it. And some people saw it right in graduate and said, uh, we kind of want to help you maybe develop this into something. And mm. he wrote it because he said, I'm of Puerto Rican descent and there are no roles for me. So he writes his own, which he grew up in the Heights and he is the owner of a small shop. And it tells the story of all the people around him and all the things they're trying to do and that they want to win the lottery. Oh. And it's, it's only $96,000, but it's, it would change the life of anybody that wins it. And that's the simple conceit of it, but it carries so much of what you hear in Hamilton, the rap mixed with the Broadway elements. Yeah. Go listen to it if you're not. But the, the last person I want to touch on before I get to somebody to me that is just, wow. Jasmine Cephas Jones, who plays Peggy yes. and Mar- Mariah Reynolds is also the wife of Anthony Ramos, who plays his son. They're, they're now married. They oh. met during this and married. <laughs> she, she has a role, which they've actually named some of the tours for Hamilton, the and Peggy tour, because she plays Peggy Schuyler. And at first in her first act, she only shows up and every, almost every time she goes and Peggy yep. was well, kind of an end joke. But then she becomes this character that almost destroys Hamilton's life. And you hear her voice. And you're like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, they've been holding off on the can until the end. Yeah. But here's the fun thing. And I don't know if this is your Easter egg. It's but not. It, it literally is. When you see the show of Hamilton, uh, we so if you listen to the the. Um, the, the soundtrack, which is produced by Quest Love, and it is just mm. astonishingly good. Mm. You don't hear how crucial the character of King George is. And King George, actually, when you show up, he he calls it his musical. You hear it over the voice that they're introducing it. That's but my, that played that's, by Jonathan Groff. That's my Easter egg. Well, I, I thought it was, and I'm going to throw it to you. You want to tell us about Jonathan Groff? No, 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 no. You you continue. You continue. But but immediately, I was when this character comes on stage, I'm like, who is that? Because yeah. you talk about, you know, a dish with highlights, right? Like if you're talking about an omelet or a pizza or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. already just like just the yummiest thing you've ever had. And you're like, there's no way this could get better. Then King George comes on stage. So Jonathan Groff, famous first for me um, of Glee, is the first time I saw him. But then I went at that time and I was like, who's this dude? He's really good. And I found out that he had been in Spring Awakening on Broadway, the the Tony Award winning musical. And yes, I'm showing how much I love musicals. (laughs) At that time, I was like, wow, he's great. So I keep watching him. And then I develop my man crush on Jonathan Groff because he's in the uh, Netflix show Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And he is just so quietly stated. Mm-hmm. Everything He's almost uh, not repressed, but he's, you know, very observational. And, but then you come to this, mm. 
this performance is so perfect. If you ever want to see some fun, go look for him on Stephen Colbert because he tells the story. And this became the truth where I talked about the pop culture moments where people want to come see it. Everybody famous in the world wanted to come see this and they would go backstage. He said he almost lost it when one night he looked up and there was Beyonce. She looked at him and went, I'm going to steal your walk. Ah. And his walk is so crucial, the way he just saunters out. Mm-hmm. And then there's a point at which in one song where he just starts doing his shoulders. Yes. And it's just this subtle movement. But you're like, oh, my God, it's perfect. He becomes the comedic foible. But at the same time, he points out the the hurdles that America faced and how much they really changed the world. And, and what's so genius, and I'm going to step into the music just ever so slightly, sure. is that Lynn takes doesn't give him rap. Instead, he gives him an English breakup song. Yes. It, it sounds like all the great, you know, English romantic, bah, 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 bah. you know, it's, it's peppy. It's happy. Mm-hmm. Yet his lyrics are mean. Yes. And Jonathan Groff takes this role and just, oh, it's beautiful. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to Easter egg your Easter egg. And one of the interesting oh. things I read was the song that King George sings that, that Jonathan Groff does such a great job with. Uh, Lin-Manuel wrote on his honeymoon. So he got married, was on his honeymoon, and obviously he took six years to write this musical, and he came up with this part, which I think is so funny because you got to be in a real comfortable place, I think, to write a breakup song that doesn't get too sappy and too much cheese and Velveeta on it. This role had me laughing so hard because, again, when you first start watching this musical, it's a shock to the senses. And just like you so well put with the the mixtape in front of the, the president, you kind of hear them come out and they're doing a rap thing. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. And then it's a whole acclamation to where like, oh, they're going to do this the whole time. But it works and it makes sense and it doesn't become overworked or tiresome so as you're acclimating to that and then these beautiful songs and ballads that he's written like you know when when um hamilton meets his wife or and you know it's just beautiful stuff so you're jumping all over you've got rap you've got contemporary romantic music there's elements of of spanish influence of latin influence there's there's also some jamaican uh beats that are in there as well um, but here comes this particular part where you're still adjusting to all of these elements and sounds and, and images that are being placed in front of you. And here comes a very simple shot of a man on a stage dressed as the king. Something, no one else around. Right. Nobody else around. So it's because a, a lot of the, the and I will say one of the reasons why I watched this a couple of times was there's a lot of movement. There's a lot happening on stage that each time you watch, you'll pick up on that. They do such an excellent job executing but here's this but the point being here's a person single on stage single shot singing very stoically not a lot of expression on their face and you know it kind of gives you that pillow and that and that giggle that you need just to catch up for a minute before we dive back into more of the the drama and action of it um that's a great point too jeff and and to supplement your easter egg of my easter egg <laughs> lynn struggled with from what i've read struggled with adding this song because he didn't want to add the king and he kept thinking how do i bring a character that's an ocean away into this and make him relevant but then you know one of the one of the construction musicals that has to happen but it's also the truth of any narrative project 
you have to have the peaks and the valleys. You have to have the things that, that lighten the load. Even, you know, even a film as heavy as Schindler's List is going to have moments where the characters are enjoying each other. Now you yes. still feel the overbearing weight of it, yeah. but there has to be a moment because what that allows is for you to digest it. But what happens with this, and it's just so stinking genius is that he throws in, it's, it's really almost in some ways, a recipe for all the, the people that yes. don't understand rap. They're like, Oh, a song, you know, we've had songs before it that, that are Broadway songs, but here he comes and it's comedic. And then you hear, you know, uh, that he's going to send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love, which is a very dark thing. That is the truth. Yeah. It, 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 he he will famously state, I think, at any point that he didn't do this alone, that he had great collaborators and Tommy Kell is the director and Alex Lacamoire is the musical uh, orchestrator, conductor, etc. But Lynn, if you go back and listen to some of his original recordings, which he has released some of them, you will hear just the genius. And he's not a he's not an accomplished musician. He said that, you know, if there's a piano part, he would play him one finger at a time and mm -hmm. record it. Yeah. But then he just raps over it. And you hear a song like this with, with Jonathan Groff and you're just like. Is there anything you cannot do? Right, right, and I, you know, I'm kind of segueing into the technical part, if the, if that's okay with you. Yes. One of the other things, besides being making sense story wise, because the king's not going to share the stage with anybody, he's the king of England, so he's going to come in and do his thing. It also technically gives all these characters who have been. I mean, not only the main characters, but there are characters in the background, dancers and stuff that are not only dancers, but also move the stage. And we'll get into that in a second. <clears throat> Excuse me a second. But this also, this King George uh, moment gives all, all those people a second to catch their breath because they've been they've been going for a good 15 minutes with no nonstop. I mean, one and we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and start out the technical part, which is blows me away. I mean. I know I've been involved in theater, not at this level or anywhere near, but a little bit, and, and even a little bit of knowledge, there are certain things you can look for and know that are happening behind the scenes with stage direction, uh, the set changes and stuff like that. And generally in most plays and musicals, you have the main song and ba da ba ba da ba and then there goes the curtain, and then you hear all the feet running around backstage, and then hopefully they get everything set, and then the curtains open, Lights come up, and then the actor says, so on Tuesday, I'm thinking about getting coffee. And then the next scene begins. Much like my love for the continuous shot, the never stopping, never curtained, but continuously changing and evolving sets are something that just hit every note with me. And this is not only executed to perfection, but I saw stuff in this musical that, that to me, again, very genius to those collaborators and people that he worked with on how he got not only the actors where they needed to be on stage, but the then props and other items um, to them. So, you know, to add more realism to the scene they're in. Another thing I want to say real quick is it was it was uh, another aha moment for me was I, I saw the opening scene, which kind of reminded me set, excuse me, opening set, which kind of reminded me of Rent, which I don't know anything about Rent other than that song that drives me insane. Um, and I secretly was thinking, oh my God, are, is this going to be the set for the entire musical? Is it, did he do it? Did he really do it? Don't play with my heart. Come on now. Did you really do this thing using one set? And in fact they do. And I, again, because never once 
are you never once and i'll turn it over to todd because i'm blabbing but never once do you not know where they are what the environment is and what the situation is and to do that without being like oh i see a door or oh look there's a cat on stage or anything like that is not only very difficult to do but they do it so masterfully that it never even crosses your mind so to, to step back it reminds you of rent uh, yes it's very open very sparse and i lynn manuel would tell you that rent was one of the great moments for him and his maturation of uh, appreciating musicals. He saw that and he went, wow, this is different. And if you're enough of a Broadway freak, and I I love Rent, Rent's another one that I was lucky enough to get to see on Broadway, you will hear moments where you're like, oh, that's a Rent moment. You can hear it, uh. some of the phrasing that they sing. And even, you know, Abby and I both are like, oh, there's his Rent stuff. The staging is minimalistic. However, what you do with the minimal aspect of it is what's astonishing. And this is where I've got to turn to Tommy Kale, the director. He directs both the stage version, wins the Tony Award for it, and directed this film. Mm. Now, Tommy Kale, just so you know, he was also the director of In the Heights with Lynn before, but he was uh, the director and overall writing executive producer of Fosse Verdon, which I went on and on about that right. was on before. Uh, he met his wife, Michelle Williams, there. But he is just an astonishing director because what you see that he does to help with the staging of this. So when we talk about the staging, if you've not seen it, it literally is a series of a stairway that spins across with a, a, a balcony-type area mm -hmm. b uh, behind everyone to another stair. There are areas beneath it that you think, oh, those are support areas. Those support areas become doorways at times. Those support areas become different elements of it. And at the center of the stage is a revolving stage, which is nothing new to Broadway. They've had those before. Les Miserables very famously uses it to put the, uh, the barricade in the middle and spin it around. But theirs has two areas, yeah, the center and the outer. And what Tommy Kale does with that, and I think this is where it keeps you thinking, oh, my God. Yeah is there's a moment when he's when hamilton is going between the two skylar sisters that he loves angelica and eliza one he's married to one he's not he's at the center of the stage they're on the outer ring and he keeps his arm out to one i think it's to his left side and at first angelica is there and slowly she spins away and he never moves and here comes his wife and mm -hmm. you're like Oh my God, he just used the stage to tell me the truth that his arm is always there to love both these women. Mm -hmm. Tommy Kale is just constantly shocking you with how he can use a very minimalistic space. Whenever there's a moment when the, he, uh, George Washington wants Alexander back, how do you get the urgency of delivering a letter in these days, which would have taken forever? Yeah. He hands it to someone and they take it up the stairs and it starts slow. And then it becomes almost a dance move, which at this point, I want to make sure I mention that Andy Blankenbuehler is the choreographer of this. Mm. And oh my God, you want to talk about choreography? You're just like, holy crap. He, it isn't just dance moves. It's the intelligence of which the choices are made. And yeah. that this moment with the letter alone is when you're like, okay, the director and the choreographer are doing something I've, not not that i've never seen before but that they're telling story with the movement right and 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 i'll yes the, i'm glad you brought up the the dual circle because for me um one of the most touching moments was there's a scene where lynn manuel and i think his wife are having some difficulty and th the same thing happens where he's kind of center stage 
and she's on the outer circle and she starts to go away. Um, to me, that struck a particular chord, or I should say, I shouldn't say go away. She moves away from him on stage. And where I'm going with that is most of what I've seen in my lifetime is argument, argument, right? And then, and then storm off stage and you get it. Okay. Upset, leaving the right. beautiful thing about using that, that circular, uh, outer ring is it's a very it's a very touching moment where maybe they don't want to say goodbye you know there's other elements there and by just having her move off stage without walking away to me was so powerful because it it was it was like there was another energy there that caused them to be separated and i think it was so well translated on stage because there wasn't the actual physical act of her moving. And I know, I know to some of the kind listeners, like we're talking about somebody floating across stage and, 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 you know, overrating it. But for me, it really struck a chord. Not only that, but I, I want to also say when it comes to the movement and some of the technical aspects of this uh, production, there is no wasted movement. No. There is no, you know, and, and you and I've been there. I'm sure you've been in plays and musicals where it's like, okay, and then you got to get to center stage and then you hit your mark and then you say, pizza's pizza, and then you walk off stage, right? Even the movement from, from point A to point B, you know, can be what at times would be very simple, but in this particular production, everything's done and every movement has been meticulously thought out and very well executed by the performers that are on stage. To me, again, that adds another layer to the whole delivery of this production, which makes it even more enjoyable to watch and just, you know, fully received on my end. Very, like you said, the choreography and just the staging is just immaculate. It's great. There's This brings up a point that I want to turn to, the filmmaking element of it because it closely ties to this. And I think you, if you're going to shoot this on stage, I think the only person that could direct it is Tom yes. McHale because he knows it so well. Um, I, there, there was one thing I'll say that I missed having seen it live. Mm. You still see this, but there's a transition to it that I've missed. And that's uh, look famously. We all know that Alexander Hamilton is killed. Mm -hmm. And whenever they talk at the end about him being rowed across the shore, in this film, it cuts to a wide shot and you see two dancers beside him rowing and it's beautiful. And you realize their dance. What you don't see that we saw live is you actually, there's these actors dive in and roll out to that movement. And it just, it's, it was oh, gorgeous. Wow. I hated that they missed that. One thing he added that I was like, Oh my God. And, and I, I'm there. I'll say this. I don't want to say who it is. There's a character who is shot and killed and that character's death Whenever he gets shot, mm -hmm. he punches his body. Tommy Kale keeps the camera still, and that character's on the outer rim. And what it does is it makes it almost look like a film slow motion. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, he understood. I know what we've constructed here, and this is the one. It looked like some – it almost looked like The Matrix, yeah. how he's moving away. And I thought, oh, my God, this is a guy now that's using his camera as another character. So there are moments of selection like that that I was like, wow, this transitions this – to an entirely new level. There is another scene with uh, Angelica where they she has introduced her sister to Hamilton and then there's this cool little scene where she does a rewind. It's kind of an R&B thing where <laughs> she goes back and then 
you know, uh, basically admits to the audience that she wished she would have been with Hamilton. And they do kind of a, a rewind. And again, same thing. He keeps the camera in place and it, and it looks like a Matrix moment where people are walking backwards and, and, and they're resetting the scene. Can't so say let's enough step about into the music there because I'm glad you did that because to me that is – so when this came out, I'd already loved Lynn from In the Heights. I'd heard so much about this, and it came out, and I went and bought that disc that day. And I was astonished as I listened to it because when you listen to the music, it really does start with the the opening song of Alexander Hamilton, which many of you have probably heard, which is almost the beginning of rap. Mm-hmm. How does the bastard orphan mm-hmm. son of a whore and a Scott, you know, it's on the beat, but it's syncopated against it. But then as it goes along, it steps onto other songs. Now he, you can listen to when he uh, meets the character of Aaron Burr, the man that will one day kill him. You, you hear Lynn's brilliance with rhyming because yes. he, here it is. Aaron Burr, sir, is the name of the song. And it becomes about the bursar and there's constant rhymes with he uses the actual word, but finds a new word that ends in that. So it's almost one of those rhymes you're not supposed to do, but it becomes genius because he keeps finding ways to flip it. Yeah. But when he goes to my shot, which is the calling card song of the entire thing. And it was only, it's brilliance was only explained to me recently when his, his song is, I'm not going to throw away my shot. Yeah. And that becomes a, a, a mantra throughout it until at the very end, when he dies is the moment he does throw away a shot. He mm-hmm. puts his gun in the air. You hear these things and rap keeps getting faster. It keeps getting more complicated mm. until the point where you're just like, what's going on? But then it gets to that moment that you spoke of, which the songs are help- helpless, which is sung by Eliza. Yeah. We see her perspective at a party when she meets Alexander and she's helpless. And it's a beautiful R&B song. But in a way, it's almost just an innocuous, beautiful R&B song. Yes. Then you see Angelica, her older sister, step up and she says, I remember that night. I remember that night. And you start hearing all these things and it's literally a mixing on the stage. And you then hear the chorus sing rewind, rewind. And the stage literally is just says goes yeah. into the, it revolves and the people re, redo their, um, their motions from the previous scene. I was just reading an article with Renee Goldsberry before we got on today, Jeff. And she said that literally was the hardest thing for me to ever learn. And it wasn't the rap. She's like, rap, you just got to be there. She said, what's hard is I have to stay still and people are going to do things with me around me to relive the scene because she's stuck yeah. and the world's rewinding around her. So the choreography around her as she sings a song, Satisfied, mm, yes, is the entire world happening again. But we And they even repeat lines from the previous song and we see her realizing what she should have done and that she will never be satisfied. It, it was the moment when I put on that disc for the first time that I thought I am listening to something profound. Yeah. Because it just hit me just the hearing the music. I was like, when it went to the rewind, rewind, I was like, what is he doing? And then when you start hearing those elements, I, I would challenge anyone. If you don't like musicals, do Jeff and I the favor, watch <laughs> this one up until that point. And if you turn it off, then I will never, ever ask you to watch a musical again. But that moment is the first, and not that the, it isn't genius, but the absolute first stroke of genius in that musical is that. Yeah. I mean, uh, as far as me, as far as the music, um, you know, especially watching it, uh, you know, the second time and getting halfway through the third, um, just, you know, it would be so easy, I would think, to 
fall into a particular genre of music and stick there and stay there and just let it go so you know again more and more kudos for uh the production team and the writers and everything that that have skipped around and like i said hit different um rhythms and and chord chord progressions and everything that really do a great job of moving the story along unlike cats and some of the other musicals that that i'm a little more familiar with to me there's never really a moment that i'm just like i can't wait till this scene is over you know because i want to get to the next you know i want to get to the memories you know i want to get to the the big hit each song is is very well written and you know to me one of my first thoughts probably five or ten minutes into it and you know this may be where i need to play my fancy music is i was thinking that Mozart and Shakespeare, you know, if some, we could somehow put them in the AV time machine and make them, um, I was just saying, Todd, um, that uh, if there's some way we could get Shakespeare and Mozart in the AV time machine and let them see this production, that was literally one of the first thoughts I had five to ten minutes in, that they would just be like, you know, gobsmacked. They would be in awe of this. I totally agree with you. And I think, I think when you look at the first of this musical through to the end from a music standpoint, like I said, it begins with the remedial, but you know, very, very simple rap. And it almost tells the history of rap because then it becomes that incredibly syncopated when we get David Diggs changing from, from the very first where he's off yet. And, and then it changes over to uh, Jefferson his what david diggs can do and because he is so incredibly gifted at fast rap mm -hmm. that you you hear that progression of, of the meter and the change of it but then you also get into the genius of lin manuel where he's writing these songs that are broadway hits even to the point that there's so some absolute genius when we introduce jefferson and he's supposed to be out of step with the times <laughs> well, dude isn't rapping he's singing boogie woogie jazz yeah what did i like, miss yeah you're like oh my god he is so smart creating this musical that he said, uh, the one guy that's coming back here that's supposed to be the, Mr. Smarty Pants is yeah. out of step with what the real truth is. And he uses music as an example of it. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Uh, I know we're I know we're running close up to our, our time here where we are uh, well into this. Um, we'll, we'll move into final thoughts and then and then give the kind listeners their their day back. Um I'll, I'll go first because I'm sure you're going to say it much more eloquently than I. But again, as a musical uh, idiot, go see this, pay the money, get the family around, get your best friend around and watch this because it is amazing. And the fact that you got to see it live is just awesome. Uh, hopefully someday I'll get to see it. Um, but when it comes to, and we've we've mentioned this multiple times on the podcast, and those kind listeners know, I love a story. So this this did a couple of things. It hit the it hit the notes with me. It hit the technical aspect of it and the com the complicity that at which it's executed and done. There's a lot of thought, a lot of love, right? With cooking, cooking, good cooking takes love. This was made with a lot of love. It tells a great story, and even though at the end, you know the main character passes on and 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 what i would what i do like is they don't just tug at your heartstrings it's very heartfelt and 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 does make you think but it just continues the the the, the theme and the story of 
life what does it say dying dying's easy living's harder and mm -hmm. and kind of just punches that at the end as far as you know kind of the messages as well as many other that are uh communicated throughout the musical tip of the cap to everybody that worked on this that did this lin-manuel to me is is a justified you know genius when it comes to all of these things he did and the talented people that worked with him above all else if you're if you're going through everything that everybody else is right now with all the things that are in the air take some time watch this and i guarantee you'll come out feeling a little better you did a great job summarizing that oh, thanks. first off i am so thrilled you loved it um when when you step in you you stepping with me and let's watch the afi 100 and let's talk film yeah i'm pulling you along and showing you a lot of films that i know you've never seen but i right. know you like movies right when you said hey do you want to do hamilton i'm like i want to do you want was my thought <laughs> and i am so relieved that you liked this i'm so i'm so glad you enjoyed it i think that the one thing i want to make sure that i mentioned in here and you kind of alluded to it i just want to throw one more tidbit is sure. the moments of quiet that this brings um there's a moment called hurricane when alexander you, you always have moments in a musical where a character must step forward and kind of tell you where they are and he talks he uses the illustration of the hurricane he survived as a child and the staging of it where the ring spins and the the actors and dancers are lifting the furniture so you feel like you're in a hurricane and it'll stop and then it spins around them and the use of that the deconstruction of the fact that we're telling hamilton's story but it really becomes aaron burr and you know all of us who grew up studying this moment in history we're taught that burr was the villain and you begin to realize that one or two different things change it and there's a line from this who lives who dies who tells your story yep. and you think about it who lives who dies if that had been flipped then maybe and maybe hamilton's the one she burst well and maybe he isn't considered the great hero he is he would have been the one that was the villain that took you know whatever it is it's those continued moments those choices that will just floor you and i beg and plead with the powers of media almighty <laughs> when you decide to turn this into an actual film there's only one director that needs to make this movie and that's tommy kale yeah they they will make this into a movie and I, I sat there watching this and i thought i don't know how you make this into a movie i don't know what you do yeah but whatever you do, you give it to Tommy Kale. He understands it. And he with, and also we have to admit Alex Lackamore, who is the musical genius behind interpreting Lynn's ideas. And you'll see him, he pops up and waves from yes. the stage because he's literally right down in the stage playing the piano and conducting the orchestra. Th those three men, good Lord, there's a reason they won the Pulitzer for this. This is just a stroke of genius piece of art, period. It's yeah. the best art I've ever seen in a live context, period. Well, there you have it, Todd and Jeff talking about Hamilton, and we love it. I think you'll love it, too. But as always, if you do watch it and don't like it, feel free to communicate. I mean, it's open forum here. Info at the other radio, uh, info at the other kind, radio.com. Or, again, you can call us, 214-843-1149. We've had your ears for uh, close to an hour and 20 minutes now. Thank you so much. Todd, is there anything you want to add before we shut this thing down? Can we do more musicals, please? Yes. I love musical talk. 
<laughs> we'll do more musicals. Uh, again, want to wish Fee and Crendon a happy birthday. They're good uh, family friends and um, kind people, so I hope they had a good birthday. want to thank you, the kind listener. Please go out to the Podcast Awards for uh, 2020 and uh, see if you can get us on the nomination list. We'll appreciate that. Have a good rest of your week. We'll be back next week. For Todd and myself, stay safe, practice social distancing, be kind, and remember, we are The Other Kind Radio. The other kind of radio, radio, radio. The other kind of radio, radio, radio. The other kind of radio.